0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. We've come tonight to pray at the cross and remember the day 2,000 years ago when the world was changed. But we've come to do more than simply remember. On that day, the Lord Jesus opened a fountain, and from that fountain flows a river. It was a trickle at first, just a few drops. But now it has increased in volume, it has grown in power and it is a rushing river that brings life wherever it goes. That river still flows, that fountain is still open. We've come to do more than remember tonight. We've come to drink and be healed, to be set free and to have new life given to us. Are you thirsty? Where do you need healing? Where do you need freedom? Do you know that Jesus can give that to you? Do you know that he can give that to you tonight? On that day 2,000 years ago, the world was changed. And because of that day, your life can be changed today. So are you thirsty? Are you desperate for the power of Jesus? I love the story of the blind man who sat by the road, and as he heard that Jesus was coming, he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds shushed him. They said, Be quiet. You're making a ruckus. But he cried out all the more, and he was unashamed to make a ruckus because he was desperate for the power of Jesus, and therefore Jesus was unashamed to come to him and say, What do you want me to do for you? I remember a time when I was that desperate. It was 15 years ago, and this is a good story because it's a Holy Week story. It's a Church of the Resurrection story. At the time, I was not going to Resurrection, but I'd been hired to play trumpet at this thing called the Easter Vigil, which was a four-hour service on Saturday night before Easter Sunday. The church I was going to didn't have a service like that. Can you imagine? So I was free to come and to play trumpet and that was the first service that I ever came to at at resurrection 15 years ago. Now this was a season in my life it was the low point of my life without a doubt it was the worst time of my life and a big part of that reason was earlier that year I'd been in a relationship that I thought was going to marriage indeed we were talking about marriage but the closer we got to marriage the more she realized I don't want to be with Brett I want to be with someone else whom I loved more. Someone she had dated the previous year, and the more she got to know me, she realized I wasn't him, and what she wanted was him. And for the rest of the story, I'll call him him. (laughs) The relationship ended about Christmas time of that year, And even about a month or two after that, I came to realize, whoa, (laughs) that was not a healthy relationship, and she was not the person I was supposed to marry. And I actually was greatly relieved that I had dodged a pretty big bullet. It would have been a pretty rough marriage, looking back on it. And a month or two in, I, I was able to see that with clarity, and yet there was something in me that was bound up Tight, not free. There was pains from the wounds of the heartbreak, yes. But there was a deeper bitterness. And there was a heaviness that was on me. And even though I was clear, I wasn't supposed to be in that relationship. I'm actually glad it's over now. I couldn't get free of the bitterness. It was consuming me. And I knew that something was wrong because I thought about her and I thought about him. And I said, well, if they're going to be in heaven, I don't think I want to be there. And I knew that that meant something was wrong. (laughs) I'm glad we can laugh about this now. It was deeply troubling to me. I genuinely didn't want to go to heaven if they were going to be there. Then I found out, fast forward now to Holy Week, I found out that she was going to be at resurrection for vigil that year. And I found out that he was also going to be at, at vigil that year, and more than that, he and I were playing on the music team together. (laughs) When I practiced this sermon, I didn't imagine all the laughter. (laughs) This was a really painful part of my life. So I called John Fawcett, who was the worship pastor at the time, John, whom we love and we miss so much. And I explained to John everything, and I said, so I I don't think, I'm sorry, I don't think I can fulfill this obligation. I don't think I can be there with these other two. I don't think the three of us can be together. And he paused, and and he said, you know, if we need to find another trumpeter, we, we, we can do that. But I actually think if there's any place the three of you can be together, it ought to be at church. And he counseled me to reconcile. So the Monday of that Holy Week, I sat down with her and I I admitted the things that I had done. I confessed and said I was sorry for the ways I had hurt her, and she forgave me. And then she acknowledged the ways that she had hurt me, and I forgave her. And then I went and I found him and I said, "Let's, let's have a conversation. And there we were sitting across the table from one another, and at one point he said, Man, when you started dating at the beginning of the year, I hated your guts. And I looked at him, and I said, man, when everything was falling apart and I knew you were the reason, I hated your guts. And I tell you the truth, I know what Jesus means when he says, if you hate, you are a murderer. I am a forgiven murderer. I tell you the truth. Because if I could have gotten away with it, there was a time where I would have killed him. Yet we confessed our hatred for one another and forgave one another and prayed for one another and I tell you the truth there was a lightning of of this heaviness it was lifted off of me the bitterness was gone I was healed and we even prayed for one another and laughed together and there was a bond of affection indeed when I started coming to Res just a year or two later we were in a prayer group together and I walked away I loved him And at one point in the conversation, we we looked at each other and we said, there is no earthly reason we would be doing this and having this conversation except for the power of the cross. And I walked away with a light heart and rejoicing. Not only had I been set free, but also my whole life I had heard about the cross. My whole life I'd been taught about the gospel, but now for the first time I understood its power. And I walked and I said, the gospel's real and the cross is powerful. There was a fountain that we drank deeply from that Holy Week and we were set free and we were healed. So I know the power of the cross for healing. According to the Gospel of John, the last words of Jesus were, it is finished. And it says that Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, also could be translated, now everything had been accomplished. He had spoken the words that his Father had given him to speak. He left nothing unsaid. He had done all of the works that his Father had given him to do to accomplish his mission. But even more than the words and the works, he had lived the perfect life of obedience that enabled him to be the perfect sacrifice that could take away the sin of the world. His whole life he had said yes to God. Never once did he say no. He had said no to temptation. Never once did he say yes. And now as he's preparing to give his last breath, he understands as soon as I give away my last breath that it's truly done, I've passed every test. I've lived the life of perfect obedience. Can you imagine the joy and the relief and the declaration of power when he declared it was finished? I lived the perfect life. I now have become the perfect sacrifice that alone can atone for the sins of the world. He gives up his breath. He dies. And then some moments later the soldiers come to break the legs of the criminals on the cross so that they would die quicker, but then he, they see he is already dead. But just to be sure, it says one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear and at once there came out a flow of blood and water. This was the fountain that was opened up, a river of life that began to flow. There is a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel that beautifully illustrates and is meant to tell us more of what this moment at the cross and the piercing of the side and the flow of blood and water, what is actually happening in the Spirit. So I'm going to read to you from Ezekiel 47. Now Ezekiel was a prophet in the exile when Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed. And yet the last chapters of the book of Ezekiel, he's brought back in a vision to a new, renewed, rebuilt Jerusalem and a new temple. And the angel leads him to the east side of the temple. And behold, water was flowing out from below the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple coming from the altar. Now, let's pause there. What does this have to do with Jesus and the cross? Well, remember that Jesus said many times that the true temple was himself. So here there's a vision of a temple, but we know that Jesus hanging on the cross is the true temple. Also, this tells us that this temple faced east, and the flow of water came out of the south side of the threshold. If you're facing east, south is to the right And even though the Bible doesn't tell us this, earliest Christian tradition is that Jesus was pierced on his right side. So we see out of this temple, out of the right side of the front entrance, a flow, a trickle of water. It's also coming from the inner sanctuary, from the altar, which is the place of sacrifice. And here is Jesus in the moment of sacrifice. So what happens next? The angel leads him to the front of the temple. He sees the water coming out, but it's just a trickle. So the angel takes him 1,000 feet further, and it has become a brook about ankle high. He takes him 1,000 feet further, and now the river is knee high, 1,000 more feet. It's waist high, and this is without any tributary flowing into it. Of its own, it is growing in strength and volume. Finally, it becomes a river that is so large and powerful that it cannot be crossed. Then it says, the angel led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the Dead Sea. When the water flows into the sea, it will become fresh. That can also be translated, it will be healed. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. There will be very many fish, for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may be healed, may become fresh, and everything will live where the river goes. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. The river brings life wherever it goes. Indeed, it brings life to dead places. It goes to the Dead Sea, which is so called because it was so salty that no fish can live there. And yet when this river reaches the Dead Sea, it makes it fresh and living, Also, it flows. If you know your geography, from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea is the Judean Wilderness, which is about the barrenest, driest, deadest place on the on the face of the planet. And this river, flowing through the Judean Wilderness, brings life to the desert. This river brings life to dead places. And we've seen this imagery before. We've seen it in Eden, where there's a river of life flowing and a tree bearing fruit, the tree of life. We'll see it again in John's vision of the heavenly Jerusalem, where there is flowing through the city, the river of life and the tree of life bearing fruit in every month. A river, a tree, and did you catch what it said at the end? The leaves were for healing. Our God is healer. And on the cross, Jesus opened a fountain of healing that indeed has the power to heal the whole world. Are you thirsty? Where are the dead and desert places within you that need the river to flow? Where is your need for healing? You know, Jesus was always about this work of healing. After he was baptized in the Jordan River, he went about proclaiming the kingdom of God, but also healing people and setting them free from every affliction in their heart, soul, mind, and body. And the people were desperate for his healing. They would crowd into small houses. They would wait for hours. They would travel for miles, sometimes even carrying those on mats who couldn't walk for themselves. They were desperate for this healing. And so Jesus saved them. His healing is a saving work. His saving work is a healing work. He saved them from leprosy. He saved them from blindness. He saved them from paralysis and from being possessed by demonic and unclean spirits. But it's interesting that few of those who came to him for healing asked for healing from death. Jesus, I have this problem. I'm going to die someday. Is there anything you can do about that? A few did. Lord, what can we do to inherit eternal life? But not many. Fewer still came to Jesus and said, I have this sin problem. I'm a sinner. Is there anything you can do to heal me from my sin problem? Even fewer came to him for that, and mostly they were the lowest of the low, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Yet, it's healing from these two maladies, sin and death. These are the principal healings that Jesus came to perform. This is the work of the cross. And back to the Passion narrative as John records it, He's pointing to this very fact when he quotes those two scriptures at the end when he says, the bones will not be broken. That's a passage from Exodus. And they will look on the one whom they have pierced. That's from Zechariah. And it's telling us that the work of the cross is to bring healing from sin and death. Here's how. The Exodus passage, none of the bones will be broken. It's from the Passover. Israel was being delivered from Egypt, and the last and final plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn. God was going to send death upon Egypt, and he instructed the Israelites, take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and put its blood on the doorposts of the home, and when death comes and sees the blood, death will pass over, and no one within the home will be touched by death. you will be saved Death. So there's nothing inherently powerful about Jesus' bones remaining intact. What John is doing is he's saying this signifies that Jesus is the Passover lamb and that by his sacrifice we are saved from death. He quotes also from Zechariah. And anytime you see a quotation in the New Testament of something that's in the Old Testament, it's a good idea to to go back to the Old Testament and read not only that verse, but read the verses around it as well. And oftentimes you'll find something very important and very surprising. So it is with this Zechariah quotation. You go back to Zechariah and you see it says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only child. But then you read just a few verses down and it says, and on that day... A fountain will be opened in Jerusalem for the people of God, and it will be a cleansing from sin and uncleanness. So, John, by including these two quotations, he's saying the real work of the cross and the healing, the ultimate healing, more than leprosy, more than blindness, that Jesus came to do was to heal us from death and to heal us from sin. And indeed, when we talk about the gospel, this is the gospel. That by the sacrifice of himself, Jesus forgives all your sins for all time and gives you the gift of his love. And secondly, that by his death, he has rescued you from eternal death and has given you the gift of eternal life with him. Now, I don't know if on a night like tonight on Good Friday, if there will be anyone here who has never given your life to Jesus. But in case there is, I want to speak to you right now. If you've never admitted that you were a sinner, that you've done wrong, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, if you've never asked him into your heart and to be Lord of your life, do you know that Jesus wants to come into your life tonight? You can do that tonight. So on that Holy Week 15 years ago, I didn't need a healing from leprosy. I didn't need a healing from blindness or paralysis. I needed a healing from the sin of hatred and the bitterness that it had wrought in my life and how it had made an enemy of one who was my brother. And the three of us, we needed a healing from the ways that my selfishness had damaged them and and their selfishness had damaged me and and all around the damage that our sin had caused. And the end of the story is, is beautiful because that vigil, at the passing of the peace, the three of us found one another, very intentionally so. We found one another and we offered peace. And it was the most meaningful peace I've ever given and received. It was beautiful. And we drank deep from the fountain that holy week. And it may be that you're here tonight and you need to drink for the same reason. For you, perhaps at stake is a friendship, your marriage, extended family relationships. They'll give you this warning without being willing to admit where you've gone wrong. Without being ready to ask forgiveness and without being ready to extend forgiveness, there will be no healing. So come prepared for those things. Or it may be that you need a healing, not from the problem of sin as much and the damage that it has caused. It may be that you need healing and freedom and release from the power of the spirit of death. Indeed, as I was praying in the last few weeks about this night, I had a strong sense from the Lord. I felt like He was saying to me, I'm like a champion warrior. And on the anniversary of my great defeat, my great conquest of death, I want to do battle with the spirit of death again. I felt like he's been laying on my heart that there is a battle that he wants to do tonight and set free those who are, again, under the power of the spirit of death. Now, to be sure, death and his comrade, the spirit of destruction or the destroyer, who in Revelation is called Apollyon. Death and Apollyon have no real power, and it is helpful to think of them as personified beings with power, with agency, with will. The power that they have is not a real power. That's where we say the work of the cross was final. It is finished, but they have power when we give them power, and we give them power when we believe their lies or when we give in to fear. And that's why there are many of you here tonight who are living under the power of the spirit of death or the power of the spirit of Apollyon. And the Lord wants to set you free. He wants to do battle again with the spirit of death. Because now that the cross has happened, when we name the lies that we're believing and when we renounce them and declare the truths and cling to the cross, and when we drink deep from the fountain and we receive the spirit of life, there is no power that death or Apollyon can have ultimately over anyone who claims the power of the cross. Now, here are some of the lies that might give you a clue that you are living under the thraldom of either the spirit of death or of Apollyon. When you believe things and say things like, I am no good, I am worthless, God does not really love me, no one really loves me, I am unwanted, I will always be rejected, I should be destroyed, I deserve to die. It would be better if I were not here or had never been born. There's no hope for me. There's no hope for anyone. There's no life in God. It will never get better. In Jesus Christ, none of these are true. They are all lies. But in believing these lies and others like them, we put ourselves under the power of the spirit of death. We put ourselves under a cloud of despair And any time that you have despair at work in your life, in the corners of your life, even a little amount of hopelessness, a sense of hopelessness, that's despair. That's the work of the Spirit at death. Ultimately, it leads to suicidal ideation, self-hatred, self-harm, and depression. The work of the Spirit of death is to make all of life seem like death so that we despair and we believe that life is not worth living. And when we believe that lie, it's no wonder that we look for escape. Of course we would. Who could live under that pressure, that burden? So we look for escape, and if we don't find it in suicide or suicidal fantasy, then we find escape in alcohol or other substances or entertainment or in an alternate online life in video gaming or pornography or in some other way where we're not present to the real world or finding no escape we simply walk through life as if we are already dead. This is the work of the spirit of death. But the work of the spirit of life who is called the Holy Spirit is to give new life and to give new birth and to say to those who are under the power of the spirit of death, come alive, come out, come forth from your tomb. And it may be that there are some of you here tonight who need to receive that healing. A few years ago, I was ministering to a young man. This was while I was a camp counselor up at a camp in in, in uh, Wisconsin. And he was actually one of the counselors, and he came to me, and he said, I'm I'm sinking under the weight of of depression. it's, It's coming back upon me. And as we got to talking, I found out that a few years prior to this, he had attempted to take his own life. And I turned to him, and I said, have you ever told God that you were sorry for that? Have you ever repented of that? And he looked at me, and he said, I didn't know I could. I said, yes, you can. And he prayed the simplest, most beautiful confession. God, I'm I'm sorry that I rejected the gift of my life. I'm sorry I didn't see it for the beautiful gift that it is. He asked forgiveness. And then I prayed for him what to me was just a pretty normal prayer. felt like to me. And after it was done, he said, whoa, that was so powerful. I've never felt God so strong and so near. And I said, it had nothing to do with my prayer and everything to do with your confession. Because in your confession, you threw off the power of the spirit of death, and you welcome the spirit of life to give you life. Now, if you're struggling with depression or suicidal ideation, you also need the help of counselors and therapists and those in the mental health profession. That's part of your healing. Don't miss out on that. But don't miss out on the power of prayer and what will happen tonight at the cross, and the power of confession, repentance, renunciation, and asking the spirit of life to fill your life. So whatever your healing need may be tonight, maybe it's around forgiveness of sin or a cleansing from the damage that sin has done in your life. Maybe it is a healing and and a freedom and release from under the power of the spirit of death or of Apollyon, the destroyer. Or perhaps it is something like leprosy, blindness, paralysis. Maybe there is a physical need that you have, and that's what you're going to come for healing for tonight. The Lord Jesus was more than happy to heal those maladies as well. Whatever your need, come. Drink from the fountain. Whatever you do, don't leave here tonight until you have.